Hello and welcome to the British Empire podcast. I'm your host, Chris Nichols, and together with my co-host, J.D. Collins, we celebrate the weird and wonderful world of Whitbury Newtown Leisure Centre, the sports centre ran by nightmare boss Gordon Brittus, who means well but brings chaos into the lives of his staff, customers and long-suffering wife, Helen. Each episode looks at an episode, so we dissect and discuss. The best way to enjoy the podcast is to watch the episode we're discussing first, and that way you'll have an excellent time. In this episode, we're discussing Series 2, Episode 4, Setting Concrete. And what we'll start with talking about today is we're going to start by talking about points of view. So that's the BBC television show where people would write in to complain about stuff they've seen on the BBC TV channels, which, you know, that's offended them, basically. And one of the debates me and John have had is with the British Empire, could they still make it in the same way today? Or would it offend people, i.e. the babies in the drawers with Carol, etc.? Would they get away with that now? And I always presume that back then people weren't offended. I just thought in the 90s, the British Empire, when it aired, people yeah, wouldn't take offence at that. But what was interesting, what John shared with me, was in 1991, there was a fair few complaints around the whole baby in the drawer, the baby in the carry cot getting stuck in the doors, and I think in episode two of series one. Isn't that right, John? <laughs> It is. It was the second ever episode and from 1991. So even just as it was airing as a fresh new sitcom, it was already garnering some controversy. And I just want to shout out to Louise, who runs the British fan pages on Twitter and Instagram. She was the one who um, shared that video. Uh, so a really good uh, search and find there, Louise. Thank you very much. It's interesting, actually, hearing it because I think as I've said before many times, and I think it's important to repeat again because of the context of this video, I've always said about how Carol's situation is not funny. It isn't mm. funny, but the performance and the way it, it fits in the hyperbolized world and the hyper craziness of the Whitbury Leisure Centre environment, every emotion's whipped up to a hundred. And Yet there was a woman who complained saying that a character who's clearly suffering from postnatal depression is, is having, going through all this. And, and what was interesting, the thing that made me laugh was when she said it's obviously written by men. I just thought, Oh dear. Because the funny thing is, you know, I, I'm not a massive fan of this modern, you know, the modern approach to everything saying, Oh, everything's, you know, everyone's a snowflake or whatever. Cause I, I appreciate different perspectives. I think that the way they portray her postnatal depression is, is might not be as in the drama as you would expect it probably today. But I think it's done in a way that is encompassing and fits in with the world of the show. But I, it goes to show that people have different points of view and that's absolutely fine. It, it's okay to have different perspectives, but it, it's funny. If someone said that now, I think there'll be a lot of people who jump on and say, oh, snowflake when actually it's a very, it's a very valid point of view. The thing about points of view is the way that the voiceovers of the people who write the letters in, you can't quite believe that those letters were real. I sometimes <laughs> feel like actually it must have been written by some of the crew members just for this, for the comedy. But then again, you know, it is exactly the kind of things you read on Twitter now. It's just you one time someone had to actually write it out stamp it and post it yeah it's yeah you must be really angry to go to that length of going to the post office and writing a letter and then because it's not just an email it's so much easier now to complain isn't it in this day and age you can complain about anything if someone's had a i think if someone's had a bad meal you're more likely to go and write a review if it's something you're offended by or something that you haven't enjoyed as opposed to something you have enjoyed you know i think the negative is much more 
powerful and the positive. And yeah, it was just really interesting because obviously they were criticizing, was laughing at Carol and her personal depression. But I think there was also another guy who wasn't he like um, a sports center coach or he was saying how it's completely unrealistic representation of a leisure center. I mean, it's a comedy. I think if it was like a, a leisure center in the same way, are you being served? If it was just like a department store, it would be, be boring. so boring. I mean, I know it's a classic, but the reason I can't warm to the office very much is because it's so, you know, very much about office life, probably office life then. Cause you know, my experience of office life is it can be quite entertaining yeah. because of the drama going on around you. And there's lots of sitcom potential. Um, another point that we're going back to the point I raised, you know, when they said about it's obviously written by men, it's a very interesting discussion. This in terms of writing and writers and lived in this idea we have today of lived experience. May, we talk a lot about actors, but also about writers, you know, can men write for women? I mean, that's a conversation that's been going on for many years. You know, like John Sullivan, who wrote Only Fools and Horses, he wrote the sitcom Just Good Friends because he was told by another actress that he couldn't write women. And it's interesting because I think, well, all I'll say is I admire Andrew Norris and Richard Fagan for actually exploring that concept at all, which not, you know, not many other shows at that time were. And I think, I think like anything, if you are a writer, the idea, the, the whole concept of, of, you know, write what you know, there's only so much far you can get with that and then you have nothing to write because even people with the most worldly experience can't yeah. i just think it, a, a writer should if they do it correctly i mean there's always a chance that they can fail but i i think it's done very well up to where yeah. we are now um to say i think it's encompassing with the world and, and i think as well like if we, if we just stuck to writing if a male just stuck to writing male characters and a woman just stuck to writing female characters how flat and boring would so many shows be because as a writer you have to be diverse you have to be somebody who can write for different characters different ages because you can't just say i can't have a child in my in my sitcom because i'm not eight years old i mean it just doesn't how look does it you have to be able to i think a good writer can write different genders different ages and birds of a feather is a good example you've got again two you know that the characters are female leads but yet it's written so well um often by a lot of men and women but you know marks and grand the creators they are men and they were able to write women so so well and i think obviously that was helped by the fact they knew who was playing the characters but it just shows you that you don't have to be a woman or a man to write for that particular gender you know it's you know i think you have to be diverse as a writer really don't you 100 percent. i think one of the i think one of the joys of writing is being able to put your mind into other perspectives and and learning about humanity yeah. Um, and I think it, it, the thing about the points of view, though, it, it very much is the Twitter mob mentality, I think, which is that it's very much people who, I mean, obviously that was only a second episode. People were just judging based their opinion on just two episodes or maybe even one if they hadn't seen the first. Yeah. But they were clearly instantly outraged, which is what a lot of people on Twitter are like, let's be honest. And yet it kind of shows that they did no room to grow. People might not think, well, they might be making a joke at one moment and the next week it won't be. I mean, bear in mind the following week, what happened to Carol when her husband came back, it was it was very sad. Yeah, definitely. And I think Fagan and Norris, they now have to turn it up and down with the comedy because sometimes we do sympathise with Carol, even though we laugh at her laugh at a lot of the time but i think it's like you said john a few weeks ago you know you said in a previous episode of the podcast that we're not laughing at somebody with postnatal depression we're not laughing at that we're laughing at kind of the the ridiculousness or the misunderstanding of britus of him not getting carol and it, it's more the craziness we're laughing at it's not so much the actual illness 
that we're pointing fun at. You know, there's loads of things going on in British Empire. Some things we see on the surface, some things less so. In the episode when um, he had the um, positive speaker with the drug, you know, saying you don't need tablet pills and stuff. And, you know, he's his wife leaves him. And then he's at one point saying, oh, you know me, I'm not well. That's only a sort of minor moment you see in the car park, but it's it opens up a little bit more about that character. Sometimes you don't need to explore things massively. It, it, if it's on the surface and, and slightly touched upon, it just adds flavour and, and it, it adds depth yeah. without going into too much of it. Because some shows today, I feel like I have to go too much to the depth of yeah. emotions. I think as well, you're right about not just writing what you know, because I think sometimes you have to write what you don't know. I think David Renwick, with the interviews I've heard of him, who wrote One Foot in the Grave, he was very much thinking of ideas that hadn't really happened to him as such. It was quite the opposite. You know, it's, it just, I guess, I guess it depends on the show and the writer, but I think sometimes writing what you know can play to a comedian's strength. But I think also when it comes to writing, it can also limit you if you're just writing what you know, because you might end up writing the same character. Uh, I mean, Ricky Gervais, I like a lot of his sitcoms, but what you do find is he's playing a very similar character main character in a lot of his shows and i guess he's writing what he knows and it's you know i think it's funny you know his shows i love extras and i like the office as well but it, it can limit you as well can't it if fagan and norris just wrote what they know we wouldn't have cows giving birth on squash courts etc and people's feet getting set in concrete which is where we are now i i, I personally i like to put on the telly for escapism and that's what british is it's fantastic escapism it's fun and also with intelligence and emotion behind it Originally, this episode that we're discussing today was broadcast on the 23rd of January, 1992, and that was at 8.30. It was described, as always, in the Radio Times entry, a comedy series by Richard Fagan and Andrew Norris, starring Chris Barry, and it says, Britus decides his leisure centre has sick building syndrome and looks for a cure. Director slash producer Mike Stevens, so it's in stereo and teletext subtitles, and as always, with this particular series, it was broadcast on a Thursday. And before that, it was paired with Last of the Summer Wine, which was being repeated at the time as well. Also on that night, you had EastEnders and you also had Crime Watch as well. And I think the Rotary Club should be on the Crime Watch UK after this terrible thing they've done to Gordon Britis's feet. Don't you think so, John? I mean, this is, it's one of those concepts which I think that should have been in the Radio Times description. Just the yeah. fact that he's been, he's stuck in concrete. It's a brilliant one premise sentence and yet it has so much potential it's a, yeah. it, i mean this episode is wonderful for many reasons i think i think what they have described in terms of the the kind of this kind of concept of the, the building to turning everyone via and finding a, a cure is interesting i like the psychology behind this episode i like that the idea that they're trying to look inwards the characters or should we say yeah. Mr. Brutus, to work yeah. out exactly what's going on. And I think there's some really good um, interplay, particularly with him and Laura, and the way it contrasts what we've seen only in the last couple of episodes. I think it's exploring the whole environment and his approach really well, and just trying oh, yeah. to make it, you know, just build that world further. Laura arrives in the office to find Brutus in a suit at his desk. We learn here that Britus wants to do a, a foot inspection of the whole staff to, to seem more tactful because he wants to kind of inspect Colin's feet instead of just singling out Colin because he's thinking of Colin's feelings. Mm. Although he is tactless, although he doesn't really get other people, which is what we really see in this episode, there is still a hint there that he is human and he does slightly get things. So I think that in that way, it makes him a little more complex, a little more real, a little more believable that it's not completely 
completely clue this. Oh yeah, hundred percent. But that's the thing we've said quite a lot. You know, there is that balance of his character, especially in the yeah. second series. He's growing to be less less one dimensional, less um, one approach, one one approach, one response to everything sort of character. But yeah. what good, what makes a good comedy character? And, I, and but it's the fact that Chris Barry plays all this so well. You know, at this moment, you don't know anything that has happened and you have no idea what the reveal is going to be you don't even know there is going to be a reveal it's so brilliantly staged and directed and rehearsed this and and chris barry plays it so well just sat behind the desk and and having a sort of normal conversation going through and obviously we learn here that laura asks how the rotarian dinner went in the sports hall so this is obviously the first mention of the rotarian now I, I didn't actually know what rotarian was i thought it was to do with kind of sport but then i did some research and i tried to try to kind of define what rotarian was and what rotarians do so what i found is that ro rotary unites problem solvers in great britain and ireland and across the world transforming communities one project at a time so i didn't really know they're sort of kind of what they kind of go around fixing things is that is that right i, I didn't really understand what they were yeah i had this I, I was the same when i did my research as well and i think i just love that idea and it's it's such a great bit of um outside real life inspiration and knowledge for people who i would never have known anything like that existed but like a cult. Really, <laughs> yeah a bit like a cult and, and what's clever about it is these are probably very excitable people Want a bit like Britain's very um, passionate about making a difference and being yeah. organised, but then quite clearly they will be completely irritated by Mr. Britis himself. So it just goes to show that even he can't, he can't escape even people of his own kind. His, he can't, he believes amongst his own kind, he'll still find enemies. It's even funnier that they're people who are trying to help and fix the world because that's so British. And it makes so sense that he would be there, not only because he's the manager, but because he, he thinks of himself very much as a Rotarian, doesn't he? Someone who's fixing the world, a sort of messiah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's what I think makes it such an interesting beginning of this episode, because as it goes on, it's really a character study of Britus, both for yeah. the audience and for the cat himself in a weird way this episode develops it's very rare for a main character of the monstrous pipe like Britus, to have a, a, a moment where he is under the spotlight and having to yeah. learn about his the error of his ways having learned what happens when he goes too far and how to make sure it's something like that doesn't happen again and then yeah so we go to carol at reception uh, helen arrives advising that uh, Mr. Brittus didn't come home last night and Carol calls Brittus's office and he advises to give Helen a pound from Petty Cash for a coffee and a donut. Now, I must say a pound, a pound for a cup of coffee and a donut. I mean, that is in today's standards of price going up a, a pound for both is just incredible, right? Don't you think? Oh, God. I mean, I was in Sainsbury's today where I went by where I work and they had um, a pack of donuts reduced for about two pounds. <laughs> I remember yeah. a time when they used to be one pound reduced not too long ago, maybe 10 years ago or something. But yeah, no, a coffee and a donut for one pound, different world. You wouldn't get much for a pound these days, would you? I don't think you could even get like a pack of sweets for a pound barely, could you? Or even oh. a chocolate bar. Oh God, pound shop would now be one pound 50. Culture. It would be called a one pound fifty shop. Yeah, one pound fifty land. It's not the same, is it? Not got the same ring. Oh, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It doesn't flow off the tongue, as they say. No. And then I love this little bit, this little exchange about Ben as well and the baby. There's some really funny stuff in this particular series about Ben. And Helen says to Carol, "You still keeping your baby in the drawer, Carol?" And she's like, "No, Mrs. Brutus. I took your advice about giving him more space." 
So I put him in the cupboard. Yeah, again, it's it, another bit of Carol, deluded Carol, just uh, but saying saying the most sort of shocking things in the most matter of fact and but innocent way. It is like, oh, I just left it. He's left him in there. It's like I said a few weeks ago. She said, oh, well, he's sort of used to it now. Yeah, it's, it's clever writing because obviously, if Carol was a sadistic person, it wouldn't be funny at all. But no. it's the fact that she is so clueless and she thinks she's doing the right thing. That's I think why that's why it works. This isn't it? Yeah. And yeah, definitely. And then obviously we see the mouse. Helen makes her aware of the mouse. And even Carol's kind of creeped out by that. Yeah, she's she's terrified of the mouse, isn't she? Not for the first time in terms of animals in the centre that she's afraid of. But yeah, she's particularly uh, particularly scared of the mouse on the loose, which Helen reveals. And I must say as well, I've got a comment on Carol's wardrobe once again. It's it's great. You've got this that, that spotty sort of outfit. It's like a it's like almost like a onesie, isn't it? Like a smarty coloured onesie. That's what it looks like with giant smarties on it. Yeah, she refers to it as a tight, so I think it looks like a, a like pregnancy clothes. Because she always looks like some of the women who were um in the sports hall doing exercising and stuff. It looks like she's going out to go exercising. You can't beat 90s fashion, can you? No. Gym, still, 90s gym. <laughs> still knowing as bad as Noel Edmonds fashion in Noel's house party, which for some reason I've been watching a lot of on YouTube recently. I've been getting the, the nostalgia vibes. I've been watching back-to-back episodes of Noel's house party because the, the full episodes are online. So, and some of his shirts are uh, even more questionable than what Carol wears. <laughs> and you'll have appearances of Mr. Britters as well. Yes, yeah, Mr. Britters. He, he was on Noel's house party quite a few times, weren't he, throughout the 90s, playing... Mm. Chris Barrier's Gordon Britus. So yeah, I'm, uh, I haven't come across the episode yet, but I'm um, I'm hunting it down. I'm hunting it down. Back in Britus's office, you've got Britus, Colin and Laura. And we find out that Colin has had, had to have an acupuncture needle surgically removed from his spine. Oh, so he- oh, oh, no. I don't like anything to do with spines. No. no. It's it's horrible. And then, so he can't sit down. He, he tries to sit down, but he shoots back up because of this injury. He's been in A&E all morning. That's why he's late. <laughs> yeah. Very, very grim or i mean i've never ha- have you ever had an acupuncture i have not is that when they, that's when they stick the needles in your back and stuff it's meant to be relaxing isn't it is that is that the one yeah i'm just gonna stick to a massage yeah <laughs> yeah it, massage is just you feel reborn after I, it. yeah i struggle to, i struggle to see how having pins shoved in your back is relaxing to me that's the opposite of relaxing i don't know who came up with that as a relaxing idea it's like what should we do should we have a bath should we have a massage no stick pins in them that's going to make them that's going to relax them you know what i mean i just can't see how it's, it's bizarre isn't it i mean i wonder who came up with that what was the actual you know deal with that i mean that's some people's idea of, of a sexual thrill you know mm-hmm. some like snm stuff which i mean i can't imagine that, I mean, for some people it's relaxing, some people it's a turn on. It's it's just, just yeah. very interesting. But pins, I try and keep away from pins at all costs. Yeah, I'd feel like Pinhead out of Hellraiser, you know, if I had loads of pins in me. I wouldn't want to be anything like him. But yeah. there's actually there's a funny scene in Dad, 1997 sitcom Dad by Andrew Marshall of <laughs> acupuncture, the main character getting stuffed with needles. And then it's, there's a spoiler here, people. So just to, just to be aware, but yeah, the spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, it gets, it gets, it's very, very funny, isn't it, John? It's a funny yeah. scene. Go and watch it. Track down the DVD for Dad, 1997, George Cole. There's a very funny acupuncture scene there, and it's very dark and very, very great. Yeah, it, it's a good, it's Kevin McNally and George Cole. I think there might be some episodes on the internet, um, but you, I won't say where you can find them easily. Yes, there's a great DVD out there for it. Australian, released in Australia on DVD, and it's, uh, yeah, loads of extras. So go hunt that down, sitcom fans. 
But um, Brits is very concerned. There's fights that keep happening in the centre. The customers are squabbling. People are being abusive, striking members of staff. And I love the next bit as well when Brits is speaking to Laura and Colin. And Laura points out there was a woman that came to the Make a Friend Open morning. And someone asked if she realised how much hair she had on her upper lip. And she lashed out with a frozen chicken. Yeah, I think it, 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 it's really interesting, this conversation in terms of Brittis in his typical way, trying to work out why there's all these violent things happening. And Laura's trying to make him realise, actually, he's the, pro the problem, which is an interesting contrast to what happens later in the episode. Um, yeah. And I think it's a good idea to see in this scene him not really listening to her <laughs> so that he goes on this journey. In the episode, it really is like a real circle of a full circle he goes around in this episode yeah, in terms of character development. I mean, he thinks that it's sick building syndrome, which I had to research because I didn't think that was a real thing. But it turns out on the NHS website, sick building syndrome is an actual problem. And it's the name for symptoms you get while you're in a particular building. It usually happens in an office, but you can get it in any building. And the symptoms are headaches, blocked or runny nose, dry, itchy skin, sores, cough or wheezing, rashes, tiredness and difficulty concentrating and hitting leisure centre managers over the head. <laughs> the thing about it is I've never, I, I don't think I've ever had extreme reactions, but I understand the idea of going into certain buildings and you just get a feeling. There is definitely some truth in that, I think. And sometimes it's not necessarily old buildings. Sometimes it is modern buildings that you just you walk in and there's something about them. I mean, Britta says it could be the heat and the lighting ventilation, but I don't always think it is to do with the environment. There's just something about it and it's it's all yeah. psychological i'm sure it's there's a placebo with it, effect with it i mean i like to when i work from home i like to have the window open i love having fresh air i love being able to see like trees rustling and the, the rain and stuff and that has a big impact on your mood but i think anything right down to the color of a room to the size of a room can have a big impact can't it of how you feel and stuff so i can understand i can sympathize with this sick building syndrome i think i definitely get it on a monday Friday sick monday course. syndrome <laughs> yeah sick monday syndrome things like yeah i'm sure that's a um i'm sure there's some technical term for that as well <laughs> but, I, but i do agree with britta's plants is the way forward i mean i have my spider plant next to me because it's the only type of plant that i can keep alive and yeah, yeah it does it does pick up my mood to be honest so uh, there's some great visual humor in this episode i think and the fact that britta's is swaying to one side to the next saying that he, he read an article in the papers about sick building syndrome and he's found a list of a firm of consultants and stuff and he's leaning as he's picking up the paper and the desk and colin's like are you all right mr britta's sorry it's just a thought. Yes, no, nothing. I just—it's really funny the way he's just swaying from side to side, like a, a sort of pen, reverse pendulum. And then we realise there's a guy called Mr. Graham Hansen who's coming in um, to sort of give help to the situation at the centre. And I like the when Laura notices something, she gets up, and then it's the build up to the reveal that I love. She just goes and says, "She goes, Mr. Bridges." Why have you got your feet in a cardboard box? And then it's a great reveal of seeing that he's got in a cardboard box with cement and he's just stuck on there in concrete. Yeah. It's kind of a nice nod to the first episode with Vibes in his oh, car. Oh, yes. Yeah, of course, because his car is filled with cement in the very first episode. I, I never made that, made that link. Yeah. I wonder if it's, yeah, I wonder if the builder in league then with the Rotary Club, maybe. <laughs> yes, that could be it. Uh, unless, they, unless they are part of it and they went into, in disguise to the dinner. Yes, yeah, the plot thickens, yeah. And then we go to the cafe, and there's Laura and Helen, and Britta's interrupted the speech, we learn, by, of the Rotarians for the misuse of the lavatory. 
centuries because someone not lifting up the seat. And he also interrupted them again in the loyal toast with a mop and a list of offenders and started sending people home. So this is what kind of catapulted this whole disaster. I mean, it, I think it gets quite sadistic what 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 they did. When yeah, they, with the doctors. Yeah. So Laura mentions that he has a plaster on his hand. So they think it was a doctor at the health center gave him an injection and they doesn't remember anything until the cleaners woke up at 7.30. So clearly they knocked him out and did that to him. I mean, God knows they could have done a lot worse. Yeah, it's not something I've saw, isn't it? <laughs> you wake up drug, not know what's happened, and then you find your feet are, are gone. It's, it's, it's quite terrifying, quite horrific. And obviously we spoke about previously, listeners, about, you know, there's a lot of horror elements in Britus and a lot more to come as we explore Whitbury Leisure Centre as we go through the years of, of all the episodes. It, 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 there is. And I just and I like Laura's frustration, the way she says, you know, has anyone not told him people don't like it? He doesn't listen. He doesn't hear the danger signs. And then I like how Helen, again, is just so wonderful in terms of how laid back she is. That's Gordon, you know, that sort of has that kind of approach. Um, she's so used to it, really, compared to the others. Yeah, it's interesting because Helen says that they've tried to tell, you know, Gordon that people don't like it, that, you know, his behaviour and stuff. But it's getting to stay in one place to get the message across. But as we know... Laura says it's going to be much easier this time because he's setting concrete. And and I like uh, Julie when you go back to the um, to the office, totally in her element when she gets it's a giant yes. hammer, isn't it? She's loving it. She's loving battering British's feet with a sledgehammer, trying to free him. And Tim's like, I don't want to go. And she's like, No way, Tim. I've waited a long time for this. Now, when she does that, I mean, it's very hard on the concrete. And granted, his feet are probably very solidly, firmly in place. And Chris Barry plays the facial expressions of, of that oh, yeah. kind of discomfort really makes, well. Makes me shiver, you know, when, when his whole face shivers because he gets hit. You, you can feel you can feel the nerves and everything. It's like, oh. When he said he loses a filling, I think I'm not bloody surprised. I'm surprised he has lost a tooth. It's so, it, you can see it's really painful. And Linda is present in the office. She knows a stonemason, but Britta says it's not necessary. And uh, Tim then reads the bag of cement. Webster's Bonfast, Britta then reads it. Webster's Bonfast, liquid steel sets in seconds. If this product fails within 25 years, we replace. Do, 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 do. Get the stonemason, Linda. And, I, and there's a really good joke, and I, I love it in comedy when you have visual humour, something happens, and there's a joke that links to something. Uh, so a good example for early 2.4 children fans is the episode where uh, the characters are, are stuck on a window ledge and they're holding on to each other, and then one of them says, oh, we look like a set of paper dollies. I love things like that. Or in uh, One Foot in the Grave, when Victor Meldry's at a phone at the rail, at the train station, he's got it all in blue and he's got a red jumper around his back. And a man turns around to him when he's on the phone and says, Oi, Superman's granddad. <laughs> I love when people just, I love the cat that those kind of jokes and references something else based on something that's happening in, in a scene of a, of a comedy. And what um, Julie says is, you know, it would, you know what this reminds me of? Put you in a pair of shorts and we have a game subretto. It's a beauty. Is it it's a beauty or something like that? Yeah. It's yeah. a, it's when they flick, is it when they flick the, this little football men, isn't it? On like stuck on a little mini island. So they're on like the feet are in a little mini island, a bit like Britta's is stuck in cement. I yeah. think you, you flick them or you use them to play football with. Is that yeah, right? That's right. Yeah. It's quite a popular game. And when you, when you see what, what one looks like and then compare it to Britta's in this yeah. situation, it's absolutely spot on. And it's just a, it's a beautiful joke. And I love the fact that Britta's is just not having Julie's blunt humour on this. 
And then obviously in reception, we go down and the building consultant arrives, which is Graham Hansen. Laura offers to carry the cases, but he says there's instruments in there which are rather fragile, which is a great you know foreshadowing for later on in the episode. And Carol advises Laura that there's a mouse which is now playing with Ben. And, and Carol's quite hurt by this because, you know, she's been essentially replaced by a mouse and Ben's just having a whale of a time with this in the cupboard. It's exploring the psychology a bit of Ben in the... It's stuck in the cupboard that he eventually becomes friends with the mouse. In Britta's office, there's some more great visual humour. I love this scene with Britta's pouring coffee to the consultant, Graham Hansen. So the consultant sat down at the desk, Britta's is standing up, but obviously he's not really standing. He's kind of swaying side to side as his feet are stuck in this concrete. It's just a really good, funny visual. I, ju I just admire comedy actors who have, have that kind of physicality, you know, and, and Chris Barry plays British with, you know, everything's about his body language, the way he walks and his, you know, gestures, and it is a big thing. And so in this moment, he's now very stuck. I mean, there's in the title, he's setting concrete and yet being able to play that physicality of, of him in that situation. It's so believable to the character that we've got to know. I love how Graham's there saying, uh, talking about what he's going to do essentially to test the building. And he's like, check the iron level, use modified gas spectrometer connected to a small, and then Britis interjects. That's fascinating, Graham. Sugar, uh, two lumps, thank you. Anyway, it's not until you've taken the measurements you can calculate such things. Can I suggest something, Graham? Of course, Mr. Britis, client input is very important. Can I suggest one lump instead of two? Sorry? It's just you're in here doing something for us. Why not let us do something for you? Like help you cut down on the old sugar intake, eh? What? Well, it's not just the teeth that suffer, Graham. It's heart, lungs, blood. And let's face it, you are looking a little pasty, aren't you? You can see now the start of Graham getting frustrated and just shocked and taken back at what Brits is saying. And it's it's a really good way of getting the ball rolling because a lot of this episode is carried by this character, Graham. You know, again, an outside character starting perfectly normal, but then getting slowly and slowly more and more frustrated by Britis. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, the thing about it is that he um, means well, Britis. Again, it builds up this idea that he's just clueless. And again, and it has to whip up what he's been through. He hasn't learned from the concrete. And I think he is a character who has to have it spelt out for him. It's more examples of him, you know, trying to do something right, but obviously completely upsetting somebody in the process, which is British all over, really, isn't it? I think also British is ahead of his time in a way here because, you know, cutting down on sugar. We, we live in an age now where everything is reduced sugar, reduced sugar, reduced sugar, you know, zero Fanta, zero Sprite, all this kind of stuff. So I, I always think the 90s is a place where I used to get these wonderful full sugar drinks where they weren't, you know, cut down and they actually tasted nice. Yeah. So I think British in many ways, I mean, I'm guessing people still watched, obviously, the weight and how much sugar intake they had, but I think it's definitely something people are more conscious about today rather than back in 1992. Yeah, I suppose in 30 years, you know, how much things like heart disease and diabetes and, well, not, not, let's not get morbid, but, you know, it has, <laughs> you know, I think people are becoming a bit more health conscious now yeah. in lots of ways. Um, and so hopefully in the years to come, those illnesses either reduce or are less based around lifestyle. I'm terrible for sugar. I just love sugar. I go for the sugar, the most sugary drinks, the American drinks, you know, the, the imported drinks that are even, you know, full of brimming with sugar. I just, yeah, I'm a, I'm a sugar person. Didn't you say once that you go, when you look at the labels on the packet, you go for the reddest of the red? <laughs> Yeah, so people obviously look at the traffic, the traffic system on the actual labels of, you know, amber, green, red, you know, how much sugar is in each thing. And obviously red is meant to be the warning of this is unhealthy, put it back. But whereas me, I'm thinking, oh, look, 
It's all red, red fat, red saturates, red sugar. Perfect. I'm buying that because it's going to taste great. <laughs> so it works in the opposite way for me. It's, it's like, it's a warning. If it says it's diet or it's green, I'm thinking, oh, thank you for the warning. I'll put it back. <laughs> at least you go, at least you have your, your working out and stuff because it balances out, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a good job I do teach some fitness classes because the amount of sugar intake I have is is not is not great. <laughs> I can wake up in the night and, and get a can of Coke, although I've started having bottles of Coke because I've realised Coca-Cola tastes better out of a glass bottle, personally. It does. It does. I, I have that as a treat at Christmas. Yeah, and apparently that's actually... And it's actually true because it's the way the the actual liquid, the fizzy liquid reacts with the metal of a can. So it does actually meant to taste better in glass. So it's not actually, um, you know, in our heads. It's actually true, apparently. Yeah, it's a, it's exactly the same with tea. It, it, it tastes completely yeah. different when it's done in a, in a pot compared to straight out of the kettle. Yeah, and it's it's also nice and nostalgic, isn't it? Something about a pot and a, a proper pot. <laughs> nah, a pot of tea. <laughs> And then obviously Colin walks in, um, in with Brits and Graham at the desk and he does the signature knock where he closes the door and knocks from the inside. Uh, a joke which I think is dropped um, later on in the series, but yeah, it's still here now and it's still funny. Sometimes jokes are funnier when you repeat them. And I think this is a case of one that gets funnier and funnier. And Colin goes to shake Graham's hand. He's very honoured to meet the building consultant who's going to fix the problems. And of course, his signature plaster comes off in Graham, Graham's hand. I love the fact that he, he this happens after Bruce says he's going to cure our building. And then yeah. you've got Colin, who's probably the, the most sickly person that that place. He's got all these medicines and creams and yeah. weird stuff he's got. And so we do cut to Colin wheeling Britus out of the lift with Graham and then into the changing room. And again, there's some great visual humour in this scene as well with Britus being wheeled to the urinals in the changing room. I like the way that he they give him a bit of time for the audience to react, to show the distance, because there's a bit of a, there's a step up, isn't there, which Colin yeah. would have to push it back and, and get him onto in order to get him closer to the urinals. And it gives the audience time to laugh. You it's do, have, you have a visual image, you just do, of him, you know, weeing from that side. I mean, it's possible. It, he's a bloke. It can be done. Just saying. I've not tried it from experience. Just, it can be done. But what's really good, I, as I always say it when I love in a comedy, is you have a really good idea and you just do everything you can. Make every joke, every visual, every, you know, same with what we had with Judith. She made that joke about the game. We've seen this visual here. Gordon is still running that place. He might not be walking in his usual way, but Colin's pushing him. And I just think it's a genius concept. Really good idea. It's clever as well because we I think, again, if we saw Britus urinating, it wouldn't be funny. It'd just be crude. But the fact is, because it's left to the imagination, when you leave a bit to the audience's imagination of what it would look like, I think that's what makes it funny. It's like we've been in the, with the mouse, you know, we're left to think about the visuals. Fagan and Norris, you know, a lot of it is kind of blown up. And there's also a lot of subtleties as well in how they write things. I hate urinals. I'll put it out there. I, I get very... Yeah, I can't, I can't go at a urinal. I just find it, it's such a bizarre thing to, to be out with strangers next to you, trying to go and do the most private thing. I just, cubicles all the way for me. I'm with you there. I don't think I can't, I can't remember the last time. I, I'll only use them if I'm the only one, if, if, if it's a big yes. room. Yes. If, if like it's like eight on one side, eight on the other. Can't use them. Can't use them. It's just psychological. I just can't do it. I, I you know, I, I've been to urinals before where I've just stood there next to people and then just zipped up and walked off and not had a wee. And I'll go out still needing a wee, but I thought it's so intolerable. I've got to leave this room right now. No, I, I get that. I'm sure there's a lot of men out there who, who agree, even if they would admit it. We will get a really um, funny scene now. Obviously, this is the start of Britain's going around upsetting everybody in the centre. And there's somebody swinging <laughs> a squash racket round um, and 
basically this is what upsets Britus. You know, he gets wheeled over and he tells the person off. You know, he's saying, I wonder, do you realise just how dangerous that is? What? Swinging a squash racket in a confined space. Supposing some small child came running in here looking for his father. You could have slammed it into his jaw and disfigured him for life. And it's like, there's nobody here. But there could have been. Statistics show there's one accident per year in a leisure centre with a squash racket. Oh, do they really? Well, let's do our bit for safety, shall we? And then he whacks the squash racket against poor Graham Hansen's jacket. There, one accident with a squash racket. Now we can relax for the rest of the year. I love this scene because, again, it goes back to the, the, the characters we met in series one, the, 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 the tennis racket player in episode one, uh, the... The guy who did the talk on, is it, what was it? The calmness. Keno in tranquility without drugs. Yes. Uh, the, the, he just has that ability to, and to rally people. And then going back to what we said before about, you know, the buildings and the sick building syndrome. Is it sick building syndrome? SPS, yeah, sick building yeah. syndrome. Yeah. Same with people. There are certain people. I mean, <laughs> terrible place. You know, they say people say, Oh, someone's got a punchable face. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. I'm sorry, but it's true. I know it's not politically correct to say, but there are just yeah. some people, usually they have a personality to match as well. That's the thing. Um, and then some people, you know, some people, it's an instant. Sometimes I've, I've met people as soon as I meet them, I'm like, you're going to be hard work. And then I, I get to know them. I was absolutely right. Good instinct. Michael Crossman played this squash player and he's known for Empire of the Sun, 1987. It was in Joint Account, 1989, which was a short-lived sitcom. Yes. And that and that had Hannah Gordon in, which, spoiler alert, the last episode of One Foot in the Grave, I'm going to put that out now. Um, but yeah, she ended up being the uh, the serial the killer who killed Victor Meldroff. But I've, I've not seen Joint Account, John, have you? I've seen clips of it. I, I, it's, it's not really my thing. I mean, it's, no. it's very much, I think, twee... Easy oh, is it? watching yeah. comedy. It's got Peter Egan in it, who was in Ever Decreasing Circles, who's brilliant. I mean, they're both fantastic actors. I think yeah. she's a um job at a bank. He's like the house husband and they've got a joint yeah. cat. It's very easy watching. I, I wouldn't um yeah, it's it's not my thing really. It's not got the kind of edge that other sitcoms yeah. that we have we like have. Like Britus. <laughs> Britus, one foot, two point four, you know, all the ones we mention every episode. <laughs> We've got a great line here as well, because obviously the pen's leaking in Graham's jacket pocket, which was from his grandmother, and he's very heartbroken about this. Britta's tells Colin to give him a handkerchief. <laughs> I love this line from Colin. He goes, never mind about giving it back, Mr. Hansen. It's done its three weeks. It's interesting what he says about my grandma bought me this pen. I think there was a bit of like the historic content that when you are 18, it was apparently many years ago, um, quite a, a sort of privileged gift to get a pen. Oh, like right. a certain kind of pen, like a, a gold pen or one that's quite, you know, looks very professional, not just like a cheaper pen you buy in W.H. Smith, something that's quite nice. And um, yeah, we go to the weights room and Graham is getting increasingly frustrated by Britus by this point. And um, he's puzzled his device isn't working. So Graham's waving something around that looks like a hairdryer trying to test the, the anxiety levels in the building. And he asks Britus, you did plug it in? Oh, yes. Shall I get Colin to switch it on? It's just, it's just, oh, just 
there's so much funny stuff in in this episode, and this is another really funny scene of just Britta's really winding this poor man up, and you really feel sorry for for Graham, don't you? I mean, it's 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 again in keeping with every other guest character so far in the show, but I think of what prevents it from becoming repetitive is always the, usually the character's occupation. Yes. So in first episode, it's the young man who is working at the Legend who's a teenager. So he's got there's that difference in age. So there's more of a hierarchical separation there. Then you've got uh, the tranquility, um, Ken Jones, who the he, the joke is that he's kind of the calmest person in the room and teaching people how to be tranquil when he's completely the opposite. Then you've got the serial killer, kind of killed Britis in the last episode, and then obviously in the last. And the in the most recent one we did was about the inspector. Yeah. So you have this twist on the idea of an inspector. You think, oh, he could be someone who's going to be annoyed and going to just rip Bruce a new one. And actually, he is exactly the same. So again, it's not in any way repetitive. But what's clever about this is it's in the context about the whole episode, which is about uh, under the microscope of, of Britta's yeah. being a pain, really being dissected. And as we get into the final part of the episode what Laura tries to do to overturn that how old-fashioned is graham's computer by the way i mean that's that's a proper 90s laptop isn't it <laughs> you know, it looks like it doesn't even like a computer does it by today's standards <laughs> what is it that he puts it he puts it on what what you know jim machines better than i do what what is it that he puts it on i'll be honest i didn't i wasn't too sure you know um i wasn't sure what type of equipment that was but it is kind of it is very frustrating it takes the actual laptop from Britis because Britis picks it up and he's like no don't touch it you know it's it's delicate it's mine it's my possessions and then he puts it down and then he like turns around and get his foot gets trapped in the wire and it pulls the machine down and crushes the laptop doesn't it because you know with that will have really broken it and yeah it's yeah, the look- worst it's everyone's worst nightmare yeah um, <laughs> and he, he says it took six months to to program that and then Britis is like now that's exactly what I've been talking about. A moment's carelessness and bangers, a nice little computer costing you how much, Graham? And I, I love this bit as well where Britus goes, now you know why we need this building business sorting out. Come on, I'll show you some more. As if he's like showing him all the things that are happening, but really it's just him doing yes. it. Obviously Gavin arrives at reception and Carol and Julia watching Ben play with a mouse now in the cupboard. Carol's, Carol's getting increasingly jealous of this mouse that's with Ben. It's as if he prefers the mouse's company to mine. Colin, uh, Mr. Brittis is uh, sort of rushed forward down the yeah. corridor. I admire Chris Barry for must have been quite a, a patient to, to have had to do all that and restrict it, but, but really to get yeah. into the, to the, to the, the zone of Mr. Brittis in that situation. Yeah, it's a good point because obviously being wheeled about on this trolley by Colin through the whole episode, um, it'll be interesting how they did it, but I bet it must have been quite a, an interesting thing to film and an experience for Chris Barry and himself because he's so used to, having his feet on the ground as an actor to be wheeled around for a whole episode and then still be in character must be quite surreal because obviously you have to make sure the floor's perfectly straight and if there's any bumps and stuff they'd be toppling over and that would impact it wouldn't it so it's i bet it was a lot more tricky and difficult technically than it perhaps looks britta's colin and graham in reception colin's still wheeling britta's around at the center at this point and we learn that graham's got a headache and so so julie says oh a headache i wonder what them brought that on and then he gets a foot ache because he they, they yeah. run over him and he just think, oh my God, 
I love that. Yeah, to make matters worse, you know, he's already had his laptop smashed, his pen ruined, he's got a headache from Britta's, and then he gets his foot run over by Colin. <laughs> that scene I love is when Carol oh, yeah. Yeah. is looking in the cupboard and, and, and the cupboard's slightly ajar, it's slightly open, but it's mostly closed. And she's not even looking at it. She's just looking in the air going, are you going to stay in there with the mouse? Are you ever, ever going to come and play with mummy? And then she looks and then you just see this door just shut. It's an absurd moment. There's no way that baby would be able to close that door, even the slight amount that it's over. But you know what? It works. It's That's fine. It's funny. And then in the sports hall, it's surprisingly busy, which is quite surprising for Whitby Leisure Centre. You've got a room full of uh, women who, you know, working out, climbing rope, hopping over various equipment, all that kind of stuff. And Graham at this point is quite snappy to Britis. No point testing here. City building syndrome is associated with small spaces and confined lighting. And he's getting very wound up, Graham, but Britis insists that he checks in this room. Uh, this is, again, a really funny scene because he asks if the women in the hall will mind. Ah, there you're touching a sore point, Graham. Sadly, these ladies here couldn't complain if they wanted to. That's why they're here. And Colin advises that they're doing a, an awareness and assertiveness course. <laughs> you see, Graham, ladies in this room lack self-confidence. Perfectly understandable as far as I'm concerned. They're all rather unattractive, overweight, frankly, not very bright. He's, he's always tactless, but this is just really cruel. Yeah, and it's just, I think, you know what's interesting with this episode? I think because of the episode before it, we saw, saw such a, a caring side to Britis with Carol and, you know, Carol saying how kind he is and saying how, you know, you would never let her be thrown out on the street and stuff. I think that's why they get away with it in this episode, because we've seen how kind Britis can be in the previous episode. And that allows them to kind of turn Britus up here. Because although he's not meant to be, or he's not meaning to be cruel, what he's saying yeah. is is cruel. Yeah. And he even gets the woman's name wrong. He says, you know, isn't that right, Marjorie? She's like, my name's Rosemary. He, he, and, he, and I mean, he does that a few times. as before he's made, made he forgets people's names or... Pat and Pam. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So From um, series one. You know, it's just, I think this is the limit for Graham. He's seen, he's seen it and he's just, he, he's saying, right, that's it. I've had enough. He wants to go home and clipping his case together. And he, and then Brits is like, that's interesting. It's happening to you now. It's not. And it's just, he's just at this point, just furious, Graham, isn't he? He's furious with how Brits is infuriating everybody. Yeah. And I think it's interesting the way that he kind of has a breakdown. It's when, you know, I'm going, I'm going home. He's just like, say, you're doing it again. And then he says to Rosemary, he says, you don't have to stay here. I had to. It's my job to listen to idiots, but you don't. You can leave. All of you, go on now. Get out while you can. Just get your coat on and leave. And as he says that, he pushes Rosemary away, who's got all the rope. You know, she's holding the rope for somebody up on the climbing wall at the top. And he pushes her away. And then the woman obviously comes falling down from the from, from the wall and then slams bang on to Graham. Yeah, it's a really funny um, visual because, I mean, we've... <laughs> There's always a bit of slapstick in this show, but it, it feels quite scary, actually, the way that woman falls and, 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 yeah. and you just think, God, what is going to break the fall? By this point, obviously, it's it's chaos because Brits has seen this and he thinks, right, that's it. That's the limit. And reception, the fire alarms go in. It's not safe and he's closing the building because, as he says to Laura, they need more plants to, to solve this sick building syndrome. People are getting hurt. And I love Carol's line because obviously the building's getting egg vacated and Carol's taking Ben and referring to the mouse. If he burns, he burns Ben. That's the way it goes. And it's, it's my favourite part of the episode, this, this, last, this last bit. As Laura asks Britus, what he wants the staff to do outside. Britta says the best thing to do is send them home and ask volunteers to come in tomorrow with pot plants. I love how you just think plants are the solution to the problems in the, in the actual leisure centre. 
Yeah, then obviously Laura wheels Brits off to the office uh, because she wants to talk. I think what's really interesting, bear in mind in recent episodes, she's kind of got a bit of sympathy for him. And she always is the one who says to Helen, you know, he's very annoying, but he's a good man. In this, she is very frustrated with him and just wants, it's just basically having to want to throttle him to, to punch some sense into him, really. Definitely is. Mr. Brutus, why don't you listen to people? You never hear what people say. And he's like, Laura, I had a medical three months ago. My hearing's A1. No, I don't mean that. You never hear what people say. Like just now, when I asked if, if we could have a talk, I didn't say, Mr. Brutus, could we have a talk? I said, Mr. Brutus, could we have a talk? And you didn't hear the difference. When he asked what's diff what difference, that says a lot about him. That he is someone who just doesn't get it, doesn't yeah. get the social cues, doesn't get tone and and yeah. situation at all. It's it's fascinating because obviously we really see Laura here trying to fix Britus. And you know, she she gets so far, but obviously she can't work miracles and I love how she tries to explain it to him. She's trying to get to the character, trying to, as he says, you know, what's the difference? And she's saying, well, the first would have meant I would like a chat sometime. But the second means if we don't talk now, I will probably self-destruct. People don't just speak in words, Mr. Brittus. They give hidden messages in how they say things. And if you don't receive their messages, that's when you upset people. Are you saying I have to upset someone? Everyone, the staff, the customers, your wife. And then I, I like the way that Chris Barry plays this bit when he says, why would I upset her? You know, tell me one time I've upset my wife. And I like this continuity about the moped. And, and it's sort of lesser sitcom. Something like the moped would just be a funny thing to happen. And it would just be amusing. He got her the wrong present and that's it. But this has got some character development behind it, an actual yeah. um, outcome. The fact that she explains to him, you know, you gave her a blue moped, yellow oil skins and a yellow, yellow helmet saying, hi, I'm Helen, but it's not what she wanted. You know, I asked her, if she liked it and she says, yes, it was fine. And then she, then Laura sort of jumps on that and says, exactly. If she said she, if she said, it's what I've always wanted, how wonderful you can be sure it was okay. But she said, yes, it's okay. And that means it wasn't. I mean, the, the way this dialogue and this interplay between them, it's so it's actually very real very yeah. much it's almost it's it takes up putting away the, the the craziness and the slapstick yeah. this is really grown-up clever dialogue here yeah and and it's stuff like this that makes it feel such a criminally underrated show because the dialogue is so clever here it's so real it's so well written I think people just to write it off because they may have seen the wrong episodes in the wrong series. You know, the, 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 there's just so much, it, it's such a clever show, the British Empire, and it is a lot more than what people might perceive it as. And I think this is a perfect example of this scene, how the characters are complex and, and they're very real. And again, the good thing about this scene is it, it's, the comedy is quite limited in this particular scene. It's very much a dramatic scene. It's a mm. it's a revelation, you know, of characters. It's a big moment for the characters. And I think that's what's so important is you've got that growth. You've got that development in the British Empire. It isn't just like you say, a moped and then chucked away because a lot of sitcoms, you'll have a plot and it's never referred to again. You know, it's, it's a plot for one episode to make the audience laugh. Whereas here, the moped, you know, it was it was used for comedy, but it's also used to drive and develop characters as well and it's just again continuity in a sitcom is always something i can get behind because it just makes it feel like they're real humans if they're referring to what happened previously whereas not just resetting back to level one like in like a, a cartoon like the simpson like the simpsons which a cartoon can get away with but i think if it's real humans that continuity is important 
he says, I'm sorry, Laura, you've lost me. And that speaks volumes. That says everything yeah. about his character, that he is completely clueless. Yeah. And, and even a character like Laura, who's probably the only person, I think more even more than Helen, to, to really punch some sense into him. And he just doesn't get it. You know, he's really hard work. He's like squeezing blood out of rock. <laughs> and I think that's what's so clever about it, because I think other characters, I mean, in something like Faulty Towers, for example, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, granted, it's only two series, and it's not the kind of show to go into that amount of depth, but there's never that kind of psychological breakdown of Basil no. Faulty within the show, which it didn't need to be. I'm not saying it needs to be. It, it acts its own show. I like that Briss has its own approach. But I think what's clever about it is that the character who is known as a, a, a sort of monstrous sitcom comedy creation has that. Yeah. Because how many of, again, I've said it before, but how many of us know someone who is just so clueless and you literally bash your head against the wall trying to make yeah. them see the error of their ways and they just don't ever just, just don't get it yeah it's true it's like i think i can't think of any other sitcom correct me if i'm wrong where this happens where you've got the actual main character being held to account in this way that their character being we look so into their character to try and fix it i mean for example basil faulty david bren just imagine if these characters were sat down and said you know you're awful look how awful you are or imagine heist in the bucket if she was sat down and said by liz look heist you're upsetting everybody why are you such a snob you know, it's just, you don't need these things to happen. I mean, for example, keeping appearances, it wouldn't work in that sitcom. It won't be, it's not that type of sitcom, no. but it's just, it's, it's an interesting kind of theory just to imagine all these big comedy creations, these comedy monsters, and how would that play out if they were just sat down and said, here's your faults, we were trying to fix you. And it's something that's done in the British Empire, which is just so unique to, to a sitcom character. I think Victor Meldrew is the, is the only one I can think of, but I think in that show, yeah, he is he. The thing about him, he's a less monstrous character than than Britis. Britis is quite grotesque in a way, and whereas Victor is just annoyed, and yeah. he's annoyed. The reason why people find him grumpy is because they're not annoyed by the things that he is. I think as well with Victor Melger, he's kind of like a hero in a way because he's sticking up for the common man. You know, we all want to rant about phone lines and mail and Sky TV knocking on your door or whatever. <laughs> Perhaps not really the case now, but he's it, kind of a hero in a way. And I think it's interesting with Victor Melger because it's seen as a grumpy old man probably on the surface. But again, if you if you dig a bit deeper, it's actually the world that's causing him to be like that. He's actually not grumpy at all. Yeah, I think it, the, the, the cultural perspective on Victor Meldrew is, is quite different to who he is. Whereas, yeah. um, Britis, the character, you know, some people will find him an annoying character, but he is meant to be annoying. I think what I would say with Victor Meldrew and Gordon Britis is they both kind of, they're both oversimplified, I think, on the surface. Mm. I, think I think they're both much more complicated than people think. People might just think, oh, Gordon Britis, funny voice, bit annoying. Victor Meldrew always a grump, but I think both characters, victims of that, but they're both much more complex than a lot of people give them credit for as characters. Yeah, and Victor, um, sorry, um, Gordon Brittis is also quite innocent in some ways, actually. Yeah. He's got quite an innocence. Like he says here, why would she say what she doesn't mean? Uh, you know, he kind of doesn't understand why Helen would lie. And then Laura's like, well, not to hurt your feelings. And then it's that reverse thing where she says, you know, if someone gave you a present, you wouldn't just say you didn't like it, would you? And yes, he's like, yes, like, would you? And she goes, well, well, tactfully, of course. Helen once bought me a tie, and I said, and I said as gently as possible, 
that it didn't go with anything I had. Um, and yes, what did she say? She just had to go and check something in the kitchen. <laughs> you know, she gave me the money and I bought this one, uh, which is I treasure because particularly because it came from her. And that is a very innocent way of looking at it because in a way he, she just gave him the money to buy another one. And yet he sees it as a very special treasured piece of clothing there's um i mean there's there's a theory amongst some people that that gordon Brittis might be autistic on the spectrum i think we touched on it before and mm. um, you know finding it hard to communicate and interact with other people uh understand how people think and feel do, do, do you think that's that, do you think that's something that's that's true john do you think they had, they had, the, the writers maybe had that in mind when they were writing him i don't think they did personally i think they just wanted to write somebody who was tactless and you know create a funny character i don't think they had autism thinking about that as creating his character i'd love to find out um i'd love to ask them that because yeah i i think i'm i'm i wonder if we might have mentioned it before either on the podcast or maybe privately after the podcast but yeah i agree it very much feels like that i mean the character i can think of that he slightly resembles is sheldon cooper in the big bang theory is 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 definitely sort of one's about a textbook in that respect you know yeah i think yeah i would say so um whether intentional or not the fact that they've created a character who is got a lot of those aspects and i, I certainly I, and i would say as well like in the first five series going and british as a character is more complicated mm. and we see we see a lot of range of different emotions and, and conflicts in his character in the first five series so laura's trying to fix british and they're outside now she wants british to ask helen if she really enjoyed getting the moped for her birthday and if she says yes it was fine Laura says, that means no, it wasn't. And then Britta says, you want me to ask if she wanted a, a little car instead? And if she says, no, no, not really, that means yes, she would much rather prefer one. You know, he he asks her, he then asks her to sit down. Do you like it? You know, do you like the moped? And she's just like, um, you know, yeah, yeah, it's fine. He says, well, I was just wondering if perhaps you'd have preferred a car. Helen sort of being polite, like, well, I no, no, not really. He said, because if you do, we'll get rid of the moped and buy you one. And she's like, what seriously you know and then he says i'll take it down back down to the garage the fact that she gives him a kiss <laughs> clearly is quite um probably quite bedazzled by the fact that he has changed his tune on that one i think what's clever about this is you, you kind of see here laura's quite impressed gordon's quite amazed you think oh gordon britis is being fixed you know it, if this, if this was the last episode of a series it would be a great one to end on and then the stonemason arrives and then you see it all flip and you just think oh hold in a second yeah this is this is somebody who can never ever be fixed but we all know i think people who you try and give advice to and they take it on board in the wrong way or, or should i say take it on board but then they project it out in the wrong way uh, that actually will cause them more problems yeah. to the point where you think what was the point in even trying he, he, he's quite confident as well you know it gives laura that look of he knows what he's gonna do do you enjoy this work mr burridge fine so you'd rather do something else and he's like no not really well, what do you particularly dislike the lack of mental challenge no brain power required in heaving rocks around not no life for the intelligence don't stop me now laura i'm just getting the hang of this and there's that final image the, sh the frozen shot of Laura just looking at him with a look of despair and then going with his very arrogant facial expression but it's the kind of facial expression where you know he's going to get absolutely destroyed because he's going to be stuck in that concrete for at least another 24 hours I think what's important about this episode is it answers the why factor about Gordon Brittus yeah. because rather than the audience being left to say 
well, why? Why is he like this? Why hasn't somebody told him that he's annoying? Why doesn't somebody just tell him? Well, here we here we see it happen. You know, someone tried to fix him. Definitely. I, I say I do quite enjoy it in series when they try and explore not yeah. just characters, but relationships as well. There's sometimes an argument, which I do agree with, that sometimes there is an element of mystery in something, especially in yeah. thrillers and horror. Sometimes you don't want to give too much away or give, you know, reasons behind something. But I think in comedy, it works really well because there's, it brings that humanity and that believability, yeah. which is, as I've said, few times in this episode and before that it's in real life we 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 when you learn about people and learn about relationships uh, it kind of makes more sense about why people and why relationships and why things are the way they are uh, julia saint john is just great at this uh, she's great she's great at playing these straight moments that the show really needs because it just balances everything out it balances all the madness out and it's just a really great episode She's just wonderful in the whole show because very easy to make that character very unremarkable, just yeah. a foil to everyone and to be the voice of reason. But she's such a believable character, yeah. has enough in it. I mean, it, you know, from my perspective, you know, actors, you want want to have great lines and great variations to do to, to perform. But I think that already she's got such interesting things to do and, and the way that character's developing. And then as we know where it goes next. What a cracking episode that was. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, as always, we finish on the British quiz. The British quiz, yes. So five questions. Question one. So what are British's feet stuck in? Okay, so what are British's feet stuck in? Or should I say set in? That's question one of five. Question two is who is whacking British's feet? So who is whacking British's feet with a sledgehammer? A little more tricky, this one. What's the surname of the building consultant? Okay, so... The surname of the building, building consultant, he has his laptop smashed, he has his pen ruined, but what is his surname? And then number four or five, which woman does Britus offend in the sports hall? Which woman? So what's the name of the woman Britus offends? Now we do get her, her last name, but I'm looking for her first name and we know it from the sports hall. So which woman does Britus offend in the sports hall? And he speaks to. And lastly, a bit of an oddball question, but we'll see if you can get it. What, what the, What's the colour of Helen's moped boots? So the boots that she wears for the moped, what colour are they? What are Brits' feet stuck in, John? Concrete. Absolutely, that's a tick. Who is whacking Brits' feet with a sledgehammer to free him? Julie. Yes. What's the surname of the building consultant? Graham? Um, I thought it was, it might be his surname, the actor, or is it Crossland? And so I should explain. It's the it's the surname of the actual character itself. Yeah, I know. I think I might have got the actor's name. Okay, it is. Um, and actually, you actually said it, John, as well in this episode. It is Hanson and Graham Hanson. Which woman does Britta's offend in the sports hall? What's her actual real name? Rosemary. Yeah, isn't that right, Marjorie? My name's Rosemary. <laughs> what a heartbroken she is. And last but not least, what colour are Helen's moped boots? Yellow. Yes, they are yellow. Yes. Four there you out go. of five. Four out, you see, I believed in you, and there you go. Four out of five. So, yeah, well done, everybody, for joining us, and thank you for taking part in the quiz, if you did. And, yeah, thank you for listening. You know, if you do like this podcast, don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple. That helps us go up the algorithms in all the right ways. And what have we got next week, John? So next week's episode is called Mums and Dads. So, 
at the center there is a concert by vladimir petrov and we meet for the first time jim who is mr british's father now in this episode we've learned a little bit about the psychology of mr british and why he is the way he is well next week we're probably going to learn about should we say the nature side and nurture nature nurture about potentially why his past might influence the person that he is in this series thank you very much for joining us as ever you can interact with british empire fans on the british empire appreciation society facebook page and on twitter and instagram you can follow the british fan page which is at british fan page which is run by the lovely louise who uploaded that video from points of view in 1991 and other british related content so thank you very much for listening to us today and i think if anything you learned from this episode is just don't be like mr britters ever be more like laura and don't get your feet stuck in concrete okay thank you for listening everyone good night